Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. And honestly, unless something crazy happens, I think this might be the last one until the Colts report to training camp coming up a week from Tuesday. We are recording this uh, on Friday, July 14th. Uh, Going to be out next week, so I want to get you guys a podcast, a- an annual one. We do every single July. It's usually the final podcast before training camp begins in some capacity, and that is our most indispensable Colts. So we had the focus on Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman's contract earlier in the week. We will do the most indispensable game today. And back with us this week for a second time, outstanding as expected earlier in the week, he is Mark Dykton. Mark, good morning. Good morning. Good to be back. Um, Great to have you back, so thank you for that. Um, Along with that, when Jim Ursay speaks, we usually have to listen, and by listening, you really have to listen, Mm -hmm. because you've got to sift through. Uh, Feel free, Mark, to fill me in on anything else I missed from Ursay this week. We had Alien Talk. We had Lolita the Whale. Uh A lot of updates on Lolita. Uh, trips to Mars, um, certainly music. What yeah. else did I miss? The Jim Irsay collection tour. Yeah, that was going on. Boston bound tonight. I, uh-huh. I think actually. Uh-huh. So yeah, Irsay's on with McAfee for a half hour earlier this week, and, and twenty eight minutes and thirty seconds of it was non football talk. Correct. Uh, but that ninety seconds though, he did offer a couple of things I think that are worth noting. So we're gonna hit off that uh, right here at the beginning, and again, we'll get into the most indispensable. And do our Twitter questions. Mark, let's start with the Anthony Richardson side of the Ursay comments. And I don't say this, I don't know if I say it often with Ursay, but every time Ursay has spoken about Richardson in relation to him needing to play early, I have found myself nodding my head this offseason. And I did that again on Tuesday or Monday, whenever that day was, that he went on with McAfee. This is the quote from Ursay about Anthony Richardson. For Anthony Richardson, we know it's going to be tough, but he has to play to get better. I mean, there's no question. Gardner could come out and play better early on, him just being a veteran, but we have to get Anthony on the field. That is Shane's call when he decides to do it. Uh, Mark, your reaction to that comment? Couldn't agree more. I mean, the NFL has become where rookies usually sat their first year or you kind of slowly ease them into the playbook. Now it's like you need to figure out with how much money these guys are commanding on their second contracts, you need to figure out if this guy can play or not. And so I can't agree more that he needs to get the reps as soon as possible. You need to take the good with the bad. You need to go with with the rookie struggles, the highs and the lows. You need to go through all of that with him. See what you've got. You spent the fourth overall pick on him. I don't think we're fooling anybody in saying that the Colts are probably not going to make the playoffs this year. It's probably not going to be the prettiest record when it's all said and done. So you need to take the... Anything you can get out of Anthony Richardson and look towards 2024 next year and build off of whatever you get out of 2023. You know, one thing I want to pull out of that quote, when he talks about Gardner Minshew, you know, Gardner could come out and play better early on, him just being a veteran. I don't think anyone is denying that that thought. I think that is a 100%, Mm -hmm. you know, very close to 100% true fact. But I think when you, when the Colts, when they make the decision on Richardson and when to hand him the keys, that aspect cannot even be debated about. Like, that, 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 that can't be a factor. 
That shouldn't be a factor. No. It has got to be, the sole focus has got to be strictly based on Richardson. You cannot sit there and, you know, all of a sudden, whatever, and I'm just throwing out names. Jim Bob Cooter chirps up from the corner and is like, guys, I think we can win seven games with with Gardner Minshew. It w- I think we can only win five with Anthony. My response would be, who the hell cares? Yeah. Who the hell cares? Give me, the, like, f- give me the five. Give me the five and give me the on-field development. So that factor cannot be alive and well when you are debating this. I know some people have mentioned, and, and you know, this might be what ends up happening. Like, hey, you know, use Richardson and kind of those, you know, package of plays early on. That puts him into settings where he's comfortable. I want to put him into settings where he's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like when he is at his best, it is in, you know, kind of the dual threat nature and some of the short yarded stuff, red zone stuff of, you know, getting some some legs on the field. Um, I don't think that is enough. And, and maybe early on that needs to be enough. Maybe that's the route the Colts will go. But again, I want to see what do you look like in two minutes? What do you look like throwing the football in an NFL setting? How do you bounce back from good and bad within a game? How do you handle fourth quarter moments? How do you handle the end of a first half? Yeah, I, I don't want to see on one play, off the next. Like, you're not getting any kind of, you know, repetition or anything like that. Where you're, Here's a package for you. Okay, now we're on third down. We're going to put Gardner back in. Yeah, I, I don't want to that, see that. That's not real football. No. So, that is what I want to see. I, I know you guys have heard me say this a thousand times, but again, in all caps, this year is about one thing, and that is the development of the prize. Like, a, anything and everything. You, you, you've taken a guy that... Is unlike really any prospect this league has seen, uh, you've got to develop him as best you can. The fan base is starving for a franchise quarterback. We've gone through the valley for long enough. It's time for this team to rip the Band-Aid off. They finally did. Now you got to see what this guy can do. Let let it rip. Well, you know, and, and to that point, Mark, before we move on to the Jonathan Taylor, Shaquille Leonard injury updates from Ursay, you know, to that point, you have chosen to go down this path. Now you need to stay down the path and give yourself the best opportunity to continue to stay down that path. And by that, it means internal development of Richardson, of course, and then support. And those are the two things that now have got to be there. You have, you have swung the bat. You have, you have, you could make the argument. You've done the hard part just from a decision-making because there are franchises and the Colts were certainly one of them over recent years. They weren't willing to swing it. Now they've swung it. Now it's what can you do to move around the bases with that guy. Um, okay, the other thing that was very late in the McAfee interview, it almost felt like at this point McAfee was like, oh boy, we are over time today. We need we need Jim to kind of wrap things up here. McAfee rarely gives the rap signal, and he was giving the rap signal. We need to get this going. He was. And McAfee's body language, boy, tells you pretty much how I think every Colts fan reacted to to the soundbite. You know, Ursa at the end, and talking about this upcoming season, just – out of the blue, it's not like McAfee asked him for specific injury updates. He was like, yeah, Jonathan Taylor is healed up. And then on Shaq Leonard, the quote was, he's working hard. We'll see. He has a chance. He's working really hard. He's getting a little bit better every day. Yeah, not too optimistic, I would say. McAfee's body language is like, what did it what did you just say? Because obviously it sounds a whole lot different than Taylor. Now, I think the quote that we have to decipher here or the or the pulling out kind of the individual sentence out of the entire quote was, you know, what does he mean by he has a chance? Does he mean he has a chance to play this season? Does he mean he has a chance to be ready for week one? Does it mean he has a chance to be ready for the first day of camp, which is now 10 days away? Like, I... 
that is kind of the unknown in this. I, I tend to think it's not like a he has a chance to play football ever again. I, I might be in the minority of that. Um, I think I'm pretty realistic with injury situations here, and I can probably separate the two things. You know, I think Ursay is asking that aloud and saying, does he have a chance to be ready for day one of camp? I'm not sitting here willing to bet any amount of money that Shaquille Leonard would be out there to start training camp. And I think where I'm at with Leonard is this. Until I see him practice for multiple weeks in a row, I consider his presence on the football field in 2023 a bonus. And I think EJ Speed should be viewed as a starter. That that's just, I have to see him out there for several weeks. And Mark, I would make the argument I probably need to see him in a couple games. Yeah. Because when we saw him in games last year, it did not look good. And that is putting it nicely. And so that is where I'm at with this. And, you know, I also probably reacted to these two quotes from Ursay in, you know, maybe a different way than others. At this point, Michael Pittman's hip and Jonathan Taylor's ankle, injury updates on those two guys, they mean more to me than Shaquille Leonard and his back. Uh-huh. Like, it, it just, Leonard's a little bit of cherry on top at this point with, with with where you're at. And trust me, I get the intrigue. He's a rare talent. When he's been healthy, he's been an all-pro. He's a side-of-the-building guy. You love the energy that he plays with, all of those things. But given the nature of your football team and the support you need for Richardson and just how Leonard's injury situation has been, which is beyond murky, beyond cloudy, Taylor and Pittman matter more to me than Shaquille Leonard right now. Yeah, I took Jim Mercy's comments, and when I heard the end, we'll see, my brain immediately went to Maybe week one of the NFL season. I think we're completely eliminating okay. training camp. I think we're completely eliminating the preseason. You are maybe going to be ready for week one. And even that, I think that would be pretty shocking if he suits up in week one, just just given what we know and the lack of what we've heard of any kind of updates. I mean, like you said, Ursay, well, he's, oh, he's, he's trying hard. Well, trying hard makes it seem like there's either setbacks or... Or it's not going according to plan. We're not hearing like he's a hundred percent. He's revved up. He's ready. To go. We're not hearing any of that. So my brain immediately goes week one of the regular season. We'll see what happens. But like you said, I I can't really. I we're doing the indispensable Colts. I'm giving a little spoiler here. Shaq Leonard's not on there because we just don't know what his status for 2023 is going to be. And like you said, is he, is he going to play football beyond that? We hope so. We we. Hope so, but I, I just I can't put any stock in Shaq Leonard heading into 2023. What like what we whatever we get out of him is going to be a bonus because that's all it is. It's a complete unknown. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, he's nowhere to be found on my indispensable list, and it, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of again how difficult the injury has been to gauge over the last 13 or 14 months. You, when you think about last year, I think we lose sight of the timeline a little bit with Leonard from last year. He had that first back surgery in June. I mean, Mark, you follow the NFL very closely. Mm -hmm. If you go through an NFL season and you play through something and you need to have a surgical procedure on it after the season, it gets done in January or February or or maybe March. Jonathan Taylor's ankle, for example, that got done in the first few weeks after the Colts season ended. You take care of that early in the calendar year, so by the time you get to training camp, you know, you are fully healed, and you know maybe you've participated a little bit in the spring, maybe not, but certainly during training camp, you're ready to go. Well, look at it last year with Leonard. They didn't even, and I say properly diagnose it in quotes, until June. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he's got the first back surgery, and then, 
what, four or five months later, Jeff Saturday walks in and sees the first practice with the Colts, and he's like, dude, Leonard, you look like a liability. You need another one. And, you know, when there's nerve issues and, you know, Saturday – you know, use kind of his own examples, and you know Shaquille was very, very complimentary of Jeff Saturday, and and kind of almost forcing him down this path because he knew he needed someone else to kind of tell him that. And now here we are, obviously in July, and there still is an unknown on that front there. Um, so yeah, that that pretty much covered the big Ursay stuff. He did sneak in there. You know, he mentioned one time to Anthony Richardson in relation to the game in Frankfurt, Germany against the Patriots. He said, how about going up against Belichick in Germany? So clearly if Jim Irsay is running the operation, Mark Dykton, uh, Anthony Richardson will be out there and could be out there very, very early. And we'll get more into all of that coming up here. When camp opens up in about 10 days, unless you got anything else to add, let's get into our most indispensable. Let's do it. Okay. Again, most indispensable Colts and Mark, we have done this exercise before on our show. I've done it annually on the podcast for years now. These are the guys that you would label as you cannot afford to lose. So these are your most important players. You can define you know, how you get to that importance in a multitude of ways. Uh, let's go five to one. And then at the end, I think we'll get into maybe discussion on if there are any others that potentially crack your list. Mark, throw us number five, your fifth most indispensable Colt. My number five is on the defensive side, Zaire Franklin. I really like what Zaire Franklin does. I think given the status or lack thereof of Shaq Leonard, puts even more onus on Zaire Franklin to have a very good year. You also have EJ Speed, but that linebacker crew is a bit thin for me, but Zaire Franklin is easily, easily the best linebacker, in my opinion, on that staff as of now, and I think after that, like I said, Grant Stewart, Cameron McGrone, JoJo Doman. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's yeah. a it's a crew. Let's say that uh, Zaire Franklin is my number five because I think if you lose him, boy, that linebacker crew looks really really thin. You know, Franklin. Honestly, if I would have stretched it to a sixth, I think he would have been number six for me. So you and I have a very similar line of thinking with this. You know, the importance has risen certainly with the departure of Bobby Okereke, and, and you know when you factor in the lingering health of Leonard. So I had him just off the top five. My number five was Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think there's always the question when you put a running back like this on the list of. He plays running back, and it's just it's somewhat easy to replace that position. It's certainly easier to replace that position than others, um, but I have him five here. Um, he is a great, great talent. There's no denying that. Obviously, he brings home run ability to that sort of position, and for a team that's lacking frontline skill talent, Taylor's coveted. Even if Zach Moss, you know, ran for 100 yards to end last season, so I had Taylor number five. Um, well, I, I will piggyback off that if you're done because okay. he's my number four. All right, all Jonathan right. Taylor's my number four. Uh, you take Jonathan Taylor off the Colts offense the last year or two, uh, boy, that was a tough watch to begin with. I can't imagine what it would have looked like if he was not on there. And then uh, I think also you're going to have Anthony Richardson, a rookie. He's kind of the safety valve for him. He, he's kind of his, his, his guy that if things go south, just hand it off to Jonathan Taylor and let him do the job. So he's my number four. If you lose him, you have Zach Moss. And, and a couple other guys, but boy, I mean, and then he's got the contract coming up, so you, you'd have to imagine he's going to want to prove himself and make sure, like, hey, you're going to be paying me, Colts, whether you want to or not. Otherwise, someone else will. 
He is my number four. Okay, I, my number four is also a skill player, and that would be Michael Pittman. Um, you know, the reason that I have Pittman ahead of Taylor comes from, again, I think it's easier to replace a top wideout than a top running back. Plus, assuming Anthony Richardson plays the majority of the season, I would think you would rather have your top pass catcher for that young QB, particularly when that is the question mark for him, in Richardson's case, as an individual player. Um, you know, I think when you look at the names in my top five, pretty much all of them have Pro Bowl status. You know, obviously Pittman does not have that, but again, he is playing the position that you could make the argument matters the most for a young QB. So um, you want Alec Pierce to develop more. You want Josh Downs to make an early impact as that slot wideout. But Pittman is the guy out of those two that have certainly been there and done it at some consistent level here in the NFL. So um, despite all the recent quarterback issues, he's still been pretty steady for you. Whoever is under center, uh, I think Michael Pittman slots in for me at at four. And, you know, for the most part, I didn't have like a ton of debate here. I I wanted to make sure Pittman and Taylor were in the top five, but I thought Pittman at four uh, checked out for me. Michael Pittman would like, like Isaiah Franklin for your list. He was he would have been my sixth. He, he's okay. right there for me, but he did not make the list. Uh, I I think especially same thing with contracts with Jonathan Taylor. He's going to want to prove himself that he is a legit number one wide receiver. He's been somewhat hampered production wise with just the the lack of quarterback talent that the Colts have provided him in his career so far. I'll be very interested to see, to see what he does with Anthony Richardson and all that. But he had 99 catches and didn't crack a thousand yards last year again that's a product of the quarterback situation but it also shows the lack of being able to stretch the field I would like to see him stretch the field a bit more I think his his long wide receiver reception last year was like 28 yards or something which was yeah you want some more big plays yeah I would like some more more big plays out of Michael Pittman Jr. interesting I'm curious if we differ on any of these top three now um I'll go off number three here and in a way I was kind of like man am I really doing this but this is so much due to the depth chart. It's so much due to the players around him at this position. I have called him, and I think it's accurate. I thought he was your most disappointing Colt of last season. But having said that, I think he is very indispensable looking into this year, and that would be Kenny Moore. If we were in the studio, I'd go ding, ding, ding. Kenny Both Moore of us is my number three. three. Yes. Look at this. Mark Dykton and I here. Yeah, and again, Mark, it just I, I should say two things. One, it has to do with so much of the inexperience around him. Like, if you take more out of that room, literally Dallas Flowers is the only returner, and Dallas Flowers hadn't played a defensive snap until the final month of last season. And then the second part would be, you know, you drafted three corners. You drafted three outside corners. It's not like you drafted who you think is going to replace Kenny Moore at some point down the road. So when you get into kind of the intricacies of the quarterback position again he looks to be kind of your only real slot guy is it Tony Brown in a pinch if you need him is it Julian Blackman sliding over from safety I don't know how you would handle that but I mean this is a big time need from a versatility slot standpoint but again also strictly from an experience standpoint yeah I mean the Isaiah Rogers like suspension and obviously release has completely (laughs) completely torn apart this depth chart for corner for the Colts. Kenny Moore, like you said, was the most disappointing Colt last year. Uh, he's already, people are asking if he's going to get traded and all that stuff. He needs a big bounce back year. I think not only just for the Colts, but for himself as well. 
and all that. And to help this this position, because if you look around, it's Dallas Flowers. It's you know, it's Nick Cross, which we still he was on my indispensable list last year. I don't know what we have in Nick Cross right now. Tony Brown, all that stuff. You have to try to figure out what you've got at cornerback. Can he be a building block? Can he be a future piece with the Colts, or is he going to be a future trade block piece going forward? I need to see a lot from Kenny Moore after last season. The Isaiah Rogers suspension and release has elevated him to both of our number threes on this slot, which I, I don't think I would have. Uh, if Isaiah Rogers was still on the on, on the field, I don't know if he cracks my top right. five. But because of that and the lack of depth behind it, he's number three. Yeah, I, you know, Gilmore, obviously Rodgers, you know, a little bit of Brandon Face on, you know, you, you have lost a ton. And, you know, I also do a most to prove, most, um, most pressure, you call it, or most approve list as well. Certainly, Kenny Moore would be on that list given all the things that have happened off the field, you know, with him contractually. And like you mentioned, Mark, he is now in a contract year. So Kenny Moore at number three. Mark, give us your number two. All right, number two. I don't think he was on my list last year. He he gave us a fantastic sound drop for our show, and he plays at one of the premium positions that the Colts desperately, desperately, desperately need to find an answer for it. We're hoping he's the one. Bernard Ryman. Mm. He is my number two. Mm. All be back, Bernard Ryman said yes. to us on the morning left, show. Left tackle heading into last season was a joke that they were the, – the way the Colts handled left tackle last year, it still ticks me off because everyone was everyone could see it except for them apparently. They're like, oh, don't worry about it. We, we got it covered in camp, and you and the rest of the reporters out there were like, oh, this doesn't look so good. And sure enough, it was a disaster. Bernard Ryman, if he can shore up that left tackle position, boy, would Colts fans love him even more than they don't already. He needs to take a big step. I'm hoping he does. Anthony Richardson, for the love of God, needs to have his his backside protected as well. I, I would really like to see Bernard Ryman step it up. If he falls out, God forbid, I mean, the left tackle behind him, Blake, Blake Freeland, Carter O'Donnell, I, I, I shudder to think what will happen at left tackle if Bernard Ryman doesn't work out. Yeah, it's it's a great argument. Um, I did not have Ryman in my top five. He is I basically kind of had three that I thought about in my top five that I did not put in there. I mentioned Franklin, Zaire Franklin earlier. Ryman was certainly one of them, and, and I, I thought you laid it out there really, really well. Um, number two for me was DeForest Buckner, and – you know, I depth at defensive tackle, I don't think is like dire dire. I, I, I think you certainly have some questions about that group. You you have some bodies you could turn to. But the thing that makes Buckner so unique for me, Mark, is he plays a position that continues to rise in importance. I think we see that around the league of how quarterbacks don't love when, you know, interior guys can disrupt the pocket like some of these guys can do. But Buckner is just a rare commodity commodity in that he is a three down defensive tackle. He gives you presence on all three of those downs. He's durable, and the guy just doesn't seem to get winded. I mean, he is a rare defensive tackle that can play 80 90% of the snaps in a game, and you don't feel like you're losing a whole lot out of him over the course of that game. And then you factor in, okay, is the edge rush group still going to be you know kind of quiet from an individual presence? Are you lacking playmaking at linebacker still? Obviously, in the secondary, are you lacking playmaking? Got to turn somewhere, and I do feel like Buckner can provide some of that for you. So, uh, DeForest Buckner, Marcus, who I had number two. I, th- I think he's also 
the NFL is quickly, obviously, going towards more edge rushers, whereas the pass rush is where the pass rush starts. Divorce Buckner is where the Colts' pass rush starts and ends because Quiddy Pay and Dio, I would still say, are you know, kind of big question marks on either edge. And so Divorce Buckner is their pass rush, and you know he's known around the league and all that stuff. But yeah, if he's not going, that's a lot more pressure on the edge guys. I don't know how that's going to work out. Okay, so now I'm curious who you have at one here. Well, I'd say number one, and again, this is indispensable. Again, we've already stated that we don't think the Colts are going to make playoffs. At least I yeah. don't. Maybe maybe you've you've drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. I, I have not. I don't think there. No, we, no, no. I'm not. I don't I'm think not, we have I'm any postseason aspirations. I don't think we're looking for the division this year. Uh, with that said, the guy who the Colts spent the fourth overall pick on Ooh. is my indispensable because interesting. While we are not looking for playoffs, my God, we need a shot in the arm as far as excitement in this town with football. And if Anthony Richardson can provide that under center, I don't care if he throws 20 interceptions or gets sacked a record high or anything like that. If you're seeing some spark from this guy under center, then the fan base is going to fall in love with him. They're going to get some faith going. They're going to get excited for the future. I understand they have Gardner Minshew. I pushed for Gardner Minshew to get signed here because he was in Shane Steichen's offense in Philadelphia. With that said, if Gardner Minshew's under center, I mean, it's going to be like Matt Ryan 2.0 again, where I, I like what Gardner Minshew does. He's better than Matt Ryan is at this point of his career, but I, I the, the fan base and interest is just going to completely woo, fall off a cliff. So I think Anthony Richardson, if healthy, can be a lightning rod for this team as far as next sorry, era. Yeah, the next yeah. era. We yeah. we get out of the doldrums mm-hmm. of the of the Colts yeah, quarterback room, time. and we finally move into maybe getting some more prime time games and some more national interest on the Colts. I I have to be, have Anthony Richardson as my number one. Interesting. Interesting. I'm curious if he's not there. Who who's your number one? Yeah, so I I did not have him there. Again, when I view this, and I certainly see why Mark you would you would go there. And, you know, again, you can define most indispensable how you would like. I lived in more of a short term view, and I, I lived more in like the 2023 view to it. Um, the guy that I had number one falls in line with who you had at number two, and I've got Braden Smith at number one. Mm. Um, I probably will raise my hand. I have had Anthony Costanzo number one on this list probably for three, I would say two to three years. I had him at the top of this list. So I've always been a proponent of an offensive tackle very, very high. And the reason I have Braden Smith at one, I think, is very similar to why you have Bernard Ryman at two, in that you look at the depth at tackle. And I saw it, the I think it was the first week of OTAs we were out there watching. Braden Smith was out, and he was only out for a week. But the starting tackle pair in that practice was Bernard Ryman at left tackle and Blake Freeland at right tackle. So in Bernard Ryman, you have a second-year starting tackle who had never played tackle in a football setting until three years ago at Central Michigan. And then in Blake Freeland's case, you have a day-three pick starting at right tackle. I mean, that is, if that were to happen, I, there's no way, and I guess one injury would obviously play into it, but I can't imagine many times in the history of the Colts they have ever started a rookie tackle and a second-year tackle, and it's not like either of them were top 10 picks, or hell, top 50 picks. You know, Ryman was, what, in the 70s, mm-hmm. and and then, um, you know, Freeland was in the hundreds when you get into round four. So that's why I decided to put Smith. You know, I, I think... 
offensive tackle in general is very important, particularly when you have a rookie quarterback. I thought it was really important for me to put an offensive lineman somewhere on this list, especially an offensive tackle. So that's why I put Braden Smith at one. And again, Mark, I'm living in more of the here and now present moment of 2023 and not necessarily the long-term view of it, Uh, just because that's how I've normally operated with creating such a list. I think it's pretty well documented Mm -hmm. what I think of this season and how it needs to be viewed in light of Anthony Richardson first and foremost. But I went with Braden Smith there at one. Yeah, and I I would clarify that because Anthony Richardson is my number one, again, I'm not expecting more wins because he's under center. The wins don't matter as far as this season's concerned for me. But if, for God forbid, if he gets injured and you don't get to see him on the field and there's a complete unknown heading into 2024 again at quarterback, yeah, I think that's just going to amp up the pressure and all that stuff. So that's why if he gets injured and you do, and he's not on the field, he can't perform, and you just don't know what you have in him, boy, 2024 would be really interesting, I think, for the Colts. Definitely makes sense. I mean, I... I've kind of said this before with the Pacers and Colts over recent years. Like there was a time with the Pacers where I was like, the biggest question of the season is not whether you make the playoffs or not. It is, is Sabonis and Turner the pairing you want moving forward? You know, with the Colts leading into the Carson Wentz season, it was, is Carson Wentz the answer or not? Because, you know, those seasons then define the next kind of five to ten years when you're not the Chiefs or the Bills or the Eagles or whoever walking into this season in 2023 where there is so much, understandably, you know, hope about what can happen just this season. Uh, Mark, other names you thought about? I mentioned Zaire Franklin. I mentioned Bernard Ryman. I will throw Quentin Nelson in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think anytime you are one of the best players at your position in the league, if not the best, you you are in the indispensable category. And it's not like the Colts have a lot of proven depth at guard either. Now right. it is a guard. That's why I don't put him in the top five. So those were some of the other names. Anybody else that you had? Uh, We mentioned Michael Pittman was one that didn't uh, make my list. He was just outside. Uh, Ryan Kelly, he was almost there because I think there's just such a great unknown. Yeah, center for a quarterback. Yeah, well, not only that, but I mean, Ryan Kelly, I mean, we we debated most of the offseason, like, is he going to still play football? We we didn't know if he could, you know, he had obviously a horrible tragedy personally go on. But I mean, his play dropped off significantly, and I I need to I need to see what he can do heading into twenty twenty three. He was another one I considered putting on there, and one of the edge rushers, whether it was Quiddy Pay or Dayo and I Dango. So you had uh, them over Buckner. Yeah, just because I feel like you know, while he's while you don't want to lose DeForest Buckner, you know what you're getting in him, and I also kind of view indispensable as guys that kind of had unproven potential like what what are you what are you looking to see from them if they were unable to perform to a level that you think is acceptable then who are you looking at on the depth chart and all that stuff so I I would think them as well always enjoy that list it's a fun exercise to do leading into training camp each and every year so again just to recap from five to one for myself it was Taylor Pittman Moore DeForest Buckner and Braden Smith. And for Mark Dykton, it was Zaire Franklin, Jonathan Taylor, Kenny Moore, Bernard Ryman, and Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson. All right, man, uh, should we if, hop if, into If Jake uh, was here, it would have been Rigoberto Sanchez would have right. been on here as Last well. Last year, I think Rigo and uh, Danny Pinter, yeah. just above Rigo Sanchez mm-hmm. on that end. Uh, should we hop into Twitter questions? Let's do it. All right, what do we got for number one? All right, Wake Spike, who who chimed in, in on the podcast earlier this week, has said, hey, guys, Rodgers was due $4 million-ish this year. How much of that contract do you think will wind up going towards Pittman and Taylor's guaranteed money 
and how much towards a replacement. Keep up the good work. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought it was like more in the two and a half million dollar range with with Rogers, but whatever. That's not you know that's not a huge difference there. And right now, I think the Colts have well over twenty million. I think more in the twenty five ish range in, in in cap space. So, how I look at that is I front load the hell out of these contracts. And again, I think these extensions. Um, I would expect both of these guys to be long-term Colts. I, Pittman is one that I'm a little bit more curious about, potentially playing out deeper into the season, potentially into next offseason. But I don't know. If you're throwing around ballparks for it, you know, is Taylor in that kind of Baker's dozen range right around 13 a year? You know, is Pittman just under kind of that, that 20? You know, Mark did the exercise earlier this week where he read off some of those $20 million wideouts. It, $20 million doesn't necessarily mean you're all pro. I mean, it's, there are some guys making $20 million at, at wideout that you can make an argument, you know, maybe not make the argument, but certainly be like, whoa, that guy makes that much money? Yeah. Well, again, people, people raised eyebrows with Christian Kirk's contract sure. with the Jaguars, and I mean, that one's worked out so far for both sides. Yeah, I mean, right now the Colts aren't doing anything at at vet corner, you know, for for a veteran corner. And again, I'm I'm good with it, but... With that cap space, which is, again, in that $25 million ballpark, I think you are hoping, trying to extend one, if not both of them, and again, front load the hell out of it, so you take advantage of Richardson's rookie contract right now, Bernardo Ryman's rookie contract, Quiddy Pay's rookie contract, with the hope, of course, being down the road, you're paying those guys significant money, and obviously, you're looking to support Richardson a little bit more with other guys uh, from you know free agency or even trade moves. Yeah, I could see Jonathan Taylor's uh, contract getting done first. I feel like front load it, give more guaranteed money. He's a top five back in the NFL, and he'll get his money. Pittman's, I feel like, is kind of more of a wait and see approach, like you said, mid season, right. next season, off season. They'll figure it out then. Uh, up next after that was Trevor. If you could add two former Colts players in their prime, non quarterback, to this current Colts roster. Who would you choose? Okay, two. Get, one more time on that front. You said two. If you could add two former Colts players in their prime, okay. non-quarterback, non-quarterback to this okay. current Colts roster, who would you choose? Well, boy, I think it's. Gosh, I, I would argue it's pretty obvious. I mean, when I heard that for a second time, two just immediately jumped off the page. Um. You know, I, I guess you could make an argument for Tart Glenn now that I <laughs> think about it a little bit more. But the two that immediately jumped out to me, Mark, were Marvin Harrison and Dwight Freeney. Just Boy. the speed <laughs> and the yeah, that's, that's That's where I was going. I mean, positional value, mm-hmm. the speed and the style of the player. Obviously, you would support Richardson with Marvin. And again, I mean, Marvin, you know, maybe you're complimenting some of the bigger wideouts that you have. I think speed edge rusher is what this team has sorely missed as well. I I wouldn't mind seeing Bob Sanders. Yeah. That'd be, I, that'd be a number three. You, know, you for can me. get in some luxury uh-huh. items. I'd kind of label, you know, him as more of in that luxury mold. Um I think the best argument you can make for another would be Tart Glenn. Mm-hmm. But to me, I think Freeney and Marvin just stand out above yep. the rest. Yep. No, I, I would agree wholeheartedly with both of those guys. Uh Flippin, what do you think about the Colts over seven and a half wins? The schedule schedule is so easy. Is that the is that the new over under bar? I feel is like it was it? more I, than the six and a half. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna have to double check while we're doing this because okay. I I didn't think seven seven and a half seems a bit rich for me. I think. Yeah, you know, to the last part, yes, the schedule on paper is, I 
I think it's fair to say it's easy. Obviously, you know, we'll see how the season plays out. But, I mean, when you list the quarterbacks, especially the quarterbacks coming to Lucas Oil Stadium, it's not a daunting list by any means. And then talk about your road atmospheres. You know, first off, you aren't playing any of these games in primetime on the road. You know, Baltimore and Cincinnati, those hard road, you know, games, I, you know, Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati fans and Baltimore fans are going to view those games as like, do we even really care about them? So <laughs> Just I, in the nature of how they appear on your schedule. I don't know. Maybe they're still venom in Baltimore. I, I'm looking at a, a sports book app at the moment. It is over under six and a half. Okay. That makes a little more sense. Yeah, I've kept on saying seven to myself. So six and a half is a number I would like a lot more than seven and a half. And Mark, you are you know, certainly one that pays attention to this stuff. If you wrote out the lines for Colts games... Right now, like if you wrote out every single Vegas line uh-huh. for a Colts game this season, I think you could make the argument right now, outside of at Baltimore and at Cincinnati, I think they'd be a six-point or less underdog in every single game. Yeah. I, I don't know what else jumps out at me as like, oh, yep, guaranteed touchdown underdog. Right, maybe May- New England. Cleveland, in, maybe. In Germany. Cleveland. Isn't that Cleveland game at home, though? It's at home, but yeah. Yeah, again, I mean, to be a touchdown underdog at home, like, you got to be horrific and playing a really good team. Yeah. I, I just don't think you see that a no, whole, whole lot. I would agree that nothing stands out. Like, I can make an argument why Cleveland could be that, but I can't say with certainty that for sure at home the Colts would be touchdown underdogs. You just get in that road schedule, and it's, again, it's New England and Germany. Baltimore and Cincinnati obviously will be tough on the road. Certainly you have your three divisional games. I don't know, maybe at Jacksonville becomes something that kind of falls into that mm-hmm. boat. But you just don't have a lot of daunting games away from home. No, so. but but if we're talking over 7.5, no thank yeah, you. If we're talking I'm, over 6.5, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm interested. And, and, and I hear this a lot from Colts fans. Hell, I hear this a lot from some of my colleagues. Boy, the Colts easily could have won three more games last year. Mm-hmm. Easily could have won three more games. And I want to say to them, yes. Do you remember the games the Colts won, though? Yeah. They easily could have lost <laughs> three of those games when you think about the play that Gilmore had to make to, to seal the Denver game, the play that he had to make against Devontae Adams to seal the Raiders game. That Chiefs game, you had 95 things go in your favor from a muff punt to a Kelsey rare drop to weird field goal decisions to lose that game and still Mahomes had the ball, you know, driving down the field there at the end. So, I thought 4-13 and 1 or 4-12 and 1 and whatever it ended up being was a very accurate assessment for this. Football Watch game. the new uh quarterback show on Netflix. That Colts Chiefs game is highlighted in episode 1. Ooh, okay. Pretty interesting. Positive moment there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, moving on. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, uh Jason says, what would be the maximum trade package of current Colts players you'd be willing to trade for Patrick Mahomes? No draft picks, and your can't, answer can't be all 53. Well, I don't think all 53 would get it done, quite honestly, if the Chiefs are on the other end of that phone call. Yeah, this is this is a great July question, isn't it? Um, boy, I mean, start listing them. I, boy, I I, yeah, DeForest Buckner, Michael yeah. Pittman, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I, I selfishly, I'd like to try and keep Pittman just to have support if Mahomes was here. I would, I would literally trade Nelson Buckner Taylor, all in one trade, and I would. Pro- I don't think the Colts. I mean, I, the Chiefs. Right, right. I, I'm not saying the Chiefs. I, <laughs> no, I, 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 I would I, throw in Kenny Moore. Hell, I'd probably yeah. throw in Quiddy Pay. Uh-huh. I, I mean, yes, to your point, Mark. The Chiefs would say. I would think they would say no, but 
I would lose no sleep over trading away Nelson, Buckner, Taylor, Pay, and more. No, you get, you get the best quarterback, cur- obviously currently, and maybe of all time. And I'm absorbing what I think is a relatively manageable contract, mm-hmm. considering how generational he is. Yeah, you build around, you have the scraps after that trade, and you build around Patrick Mahomes after that. You, you'll figure out the rest. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would say. Agreed. Agreed. But, all right. Tyler. Why does the NFL not have DraftKings slash FanDuel have specific accounts for NFL players, and when the location pings at team facilities, it locks the account completely? It's a bad look for the NFL when these players keep getting popped. I would think they would want to eliminate it completely, and I'm sure the technology is out there for something like that. Well, obviously, with being the Indy 500, you know, geolocation, that is the case that they, they can do that. I don't know how specifically DraftKings and FanDuel can do that for specific accounts, though. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of this. First off, I think it's a really bad look. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't know this, Mark, but I'd be willing to bet the biggest partner that DraftKings or FanDuel or or whoever has is probably the NFL when you think about it. Without question. So wouldn't you want to make sure that your partner is satisfied and happy? And by that, I would just say this. You know, when you are, insert Colt player, when you are Bernard Ryman and you sign up for a gambling app, that means that Bernard Ryman's FanDuel account just doesn't have an NFL page. Or, if it has an NFL page, he can, he can look at it, but he can't bet on anything. Like, it, it, you just lock him out of that. It, it, it would be like, Mark, one of our kids, you know, tablets or iPads yeah. and saying, here's the adult section and here's the kids section. Parental controls, basically. Yes. I thought that, yeah, to me... That seems like an obvious thing. And again, I would say when if you're within like a mile and a half of West 56th Street's facility, yeah. there, there should be a Two block things. on it. Geolocate it for sure, but also just remove the NFL because obviously yeah. they can't bet on the NFL even if they're at home as well. And I would like to think that, again, the partners would work together on this because it is such an important partnership. And to Tyler's point, it's awful PR for the league. I did want to sneak in, Mark, one comment we had coming out of Monday's show. Remember the PED versus gambling question that yes. we got? Uh-huh. I think it was Jimmy um, reached out and said, he fe- and he articulated this in a much better way than I know I certainly did on the Monday pod. He goes, there is zero comparison between gambling and performance-enhancing drugs and the type of punishment that should be out there. He said that you know taking PEDs, that kind of implies the players are still doing everything to try to win. If you're involved in gambling, you may be involved in the team losing. Right. Which, again, that gets into kind of the ethical part. I thought that was a good way mm-hmm. to to put it. Yeah, agree. Yeah, you might have inside information. Like we, I'm sure you've seen that story with the uh, baseball coach trying to make the bet at the Reds sports book. Did you see that? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. That is a wild story, by mm-hmm. the way. You know, that's yeah. a Mooresville guy. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is, I encourage, I think it's an SI article. I encourage people to read that. Texting the story. coach while at the sports book trying to place the bet. Yep, and they had a camera, zoomed in on it, found the coach's name. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, stupidity. Yeah. Uh, Brian, this is definitely a summer football podcast I've question. felt like we had a few. <laughs> what is your go-to foo-foo drink when chilling <laughs> on the beach with palm trees around? <laughs> uh, give me a daiquiri of any kind, please. Uh, I'll take one of those. Okay, and the, the, that is a Mark Dykton answer right there? Yeah, okay. yeah, because I, I, I would say, you know, if you're relaxing on the beach, you're on vacation, Yeah, sure, a beer is nice, a whiskey, yes, please. But occasionally right. you're just like, hey, I will take the fruity drink. I don't care. It's my drink. It's my body. I'm drinking it. 
Give me some strawberry pineapple or something. Okay, okay. I, I totally can hear you out there. I am a pina colada fan, certainly. Um, I could do a Mai Tai as well. Uh-huh. For the most part, you know, I'm, if I'm down in Florida, anything with a little rum action in it. Oh, yeah. I am a... Uh, I'm a big fan of. We're so. currently at the Dyketon household. Uh, Ashley, we we got the handle of uh, Malibu rum, okay. and she gets the like organic it. strawberry lemonade from Costco. Woo, that is fantastic. That sounds like a hell of a weekend night, right there. It's pretty dynamite. I I, I like that. That's a great question, Brian. But yes, pina colada certainly, mm-hmm. uh, which usually is kind of price sat- satisfies my calorie intake for the day. Yeah, give me a, give me the foo foo drink. That's fine. <laughs> you enjoy what you enjoy. How about that? I, I love the description. I mean, come on, you're on a beach with palm trees. It's not like yeah. you need to be slamming IPAs. Down. No. All right, Conroy. My last question is more of a personal one. My wife and I are expecting our first child midway through August. And I wanted to know if you had any tips for game day with the newborn. Obviously, Ooh. screaming at the TV for, or cheering, hopefully, might wake up sleeping babies, but I figured you may have some wisdom in this department. Any advice to welcome is to, any advice is welcome to be honest, looking forward to a baby in blue this fall. Boy, well, first off, Conroy, congrats to you. Yes. Congrats to your wife. Um, I love that it's not like any sort of personal household question uh, n- nothing about diapers no or bottles or you know whatever those will come on the next sleep. podcast now this is about how do you get them inside a lucas oil stadium <laughs> and make them behave to the nth degree uh, what do you think the name you think grover is the name here yeah i mean got to go colt player oh yeah here. deforest maybe yeah uh mark you could you know we have taken obviously you know i'm working game day so i've not taken mm-hmm. rosie and or max to a game we took rosie and max to a butler basketball game back in march and this ended up coming to fruition my biggest worry and again mark have you ever been to hinkle yes uh-huh so it's kind of hard place to hide you know at lucas oil if you want to just head out to the concourse uh-huh. and for the most part you can get away from the you know, kind of in-game entertainment aspect to it. You know, at, at Hinkle, I mean, yeah, you have a little bit of that. But my worry was like, all right, how are they going to react to intros when you get a little, like, pyro feel to it all? You know, the band is kind of loud. The music's loud. Yeah. Sometimes the lights are going off, those sorts of things. So that aspect to the Butler game was a bit loud. Um and honestly, you can make the argument probably college games are a worse atmosphere for that because, you know, college basketball because the band and and just how loud some of that stuff can be from a in-game music standpoint. So my suggestion would be like during player intros, run out of the tunnel, I would say go to the bathroom mm-hmm. with the kid, especially if the kid's going to be this young. But outside of that, I mean, make sure you've got, you know, whatever, bottle and pouch and whatever you need and... Um, I think it's actually doable. Yeah, I mean, I actually do. You go earmuffs. So I would, I would strongly recommend investing in like headphones uh, for sure if they're a newborn. Like newborn, I'm assuming is between like freshly born to like six to nine months. Well, yeah, I mean, hell, he said the baby's in August. Right? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I, when you and I did the shrimp cocktail eating yep. contest ahead of the Raiders game, our youngest was probably about seven months old, and uh, my wife. And I have this thing. It's kind of like a baby born, but they're called Tulas or whatever. Uh-huh. And the baby just slept in there. Nora was sawn logs the whole time. That We were kind of fortunate in that aspect. But we also had the headphones as well because it does get loud in there. And you don't want their ears hurting or anything like that. Uh, we did that. I would also highly recommend 
If you're going to Lucas Oil Stadium, go to the guest services booth. Uh, they are great over there on game days. They'll provide you with all kinds of stuff. Um, That's they, good they might know. have you help you out with headsets. If you don't have any handy, they can tell you where some rest areas are. They can tell you if the baby needs to get fed. There are feeding stations now, uh, mother stations, I think they're called or whatever, yeah. but they're mm-hmm. private rooms that you can go to there. Talk to the guest services. I want to say they're at 121 is where they're located at, but I used to work with guest services. Those people there are phenomenal. They do a fantastic job. They can also kind of give you some quiet area locations if the baby's acting up. I'd also uh, say if you're going with a newborn or young children in general, don't plan on staying all four quarters. I think that would be a luxury, Uh, but if they tell you it's time to go, it's time to go because you don't want to have to deal with all that uh, meltdown situation and all that stuff. So I'd be mindful of that, that if you are bringing a newborn or young child there, maybe don't expect to be there all four quarters. Yeah, and again, based off our our experience at the Butler game earlier this year, I would say when – especially like those 10 minutes right before the game starts. I mean, you can make the argument. That's like the loudest, oh, yeah. most uh-huh. trippy's not the right word, but you know, lights are on and off and again, pyro, you know, in stadium and loud booms and those sorts of things. I would just head to one of the quiet areas if you can during that point. And then honestly, once the game starts, it's not like it's super, super loud. Certainly after touchdowns, you get a little bit of that, but Hey, you can kind of anticipate that and see how, uh, See how Grover, the baby reacts yeah. to it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that all of them? That is all of them. So our parenting Look at that. advice came in the last one. A little bit of everything right there. I feel like we're Dr. Phil on this podcast here. Uh, Mark, thank you, man. Thank you for both of these this week. No problem. My pleasure. Greatly appreciated that. Eddie Garrison should be back from vacation when we start to get into training camp pods. Again, we will tend to do those kind of around the Colts off days coming up when training camp gets underway. And per usual, it'll be daily content, written video as well. We'll be doing our morning show up from camp whenever those morning practice days, along with report day, coincide. So everybody enjoy what is left of your own summer. I'll be doing the same next week. Everybody have a great weekend, great final week leading into camp. And we'll talk to you soon here on Kevin's Corner.